Hey everyone, welcome to the Cutting Edge Podcast where culture meets crypto. Today I have the co-founder of Unicorn DAO and CEO of Pussyverse. She has been active in the Web3 community since 2018, specializing in DAO governance and activism. She has helped launch numerous Web3 organizations as a co-founder or core contributor, including Quantum, Ukraine DAO, Unicorn DAO, City DAO, Common Lands, and Pussyverse. Her core mission in Web3 is to make it accessible to all low-income communities and the global majority, to ensure that all can take advantage of the new opportunities and equitable economic model. Please welcome Rebecca Lamis. Rebecca, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me, G. I'm sitting out here in sunny California right now, so can't complain. Amazing. I heard I was out there uh, last two weeks ago, and... uh, I think people say, I think people always say that it rains three days a year in LA and I was out there for 10 days and it rained like two, maybe three of those days. So uh, glad to see Yeah, it was, it was very tough during NFT LA. We got a (laughs) random cold front, which did not appreciate, but you know, I guess that's what we all get for traveling to LA that week. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, uh, I definitely was, I had to get like a jacket because I was like, I did not expect it to be this cold at all. Yeah, I know. You would expect it to be 80, 90. Yeah, it was wacky. But, you know, it is what it is. It's Los Angeles. It does its own thing. <laughs> yeah, no, you know. And uh, so thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. I know you've been super busy with Unicorn Dow. Uh, you know, I we met at uh, Justin, Ar- the night before, I, I believe it was the night before, right? Justin Aversano's auction, uh, his Christie's yes, auction yeah. in... September? It's September. I think it was October. Yeah, I think was that October. was. Oh, that's crazy to think about. That was, yeah. feels like years and, ago. Know, <laughs> and that's, we met there, uh, you know, because I'm a member of Flamingo Dow with, with your father and he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's a great dude. So it's really, it's really awesome to see that the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. So um, it's a pleasure having yeah. you. Why don't, I guess, why don't you start with telling us how, uh, you got into crypto and and you know how you ended up in like the dow the dow universe yeah definitely yeah so i you know was lucky enough uh, my father jonas lamis who you know has been a you know king of DAOs as well and has recently <laughs> co-founded uh, quantum with justin aversano um and so when he first got back into the space in like 2017 you know i quickly started to learn um after him about everything that this ecosystem has to offer and i would say around 2019 i was personally doing a lot of work that focused on cooperatives um working with unhoused uh community members doing a lot of mutual aid organizing activists as work and that was kind of simultaneously when I started getting involved with my first DAO and I just kind of fell in love with the DAO model um, and really saw it as an opportunity to organize communities and scale communities in a global capacity in a way we've never really seen before to date um, in human history. And, you know, I find this technology so powerful in the way we can use it. So, you know, I just kind of fell in love and went down the rabbit hole uh, via the DAO ecosystem in 2018-2019 and you know it was a little earlier than DAO season per se um, but I definitely feel so grateful that I got to learn so much information there and started becoming a core contributor of quite a few different organizations um, that has led me to now launching Unicorn DAO today. Awesome that's that's awesome to hear 
I mean, I I have a, a couple of questions on yeah. you know, the DAOs that that you were co-founder and core contributor to. Can you mm-hmm. can you just go over like what some of those I think people yeah, just yeah. go over like the ones that, that you are and what, what they do. Definitely. Um, so one of the DAOs, a uh, staker DAO, was the first DAO within the Tezos ecosystem. Um, that was where I first started kind of learning about this space. Um, and that DAO is really quite an interesting concept. It's become fully decentralized and is run by a 20 community governance system now that we worked on creating the model over the last year. And it's creating a pretty powerful DeFi protocol within the Tezos space. Um, another DAO that I uh, really was a kind of core contributor since the very beginning was City DAO. Um, some people may have heard that it came out back in 2021, back in June, when the legislation passed to incorporate DAOs within Wyoming. So a tweet went viral by the founder Scott saying, "Okay, who wants to be the first DAO to purchase land within Wyoming?" And, you know, overnight, it got thousands and thousands of followers and, you know, core contributors coming to our Discord, etc. And since I had a big passion for cooperative real estate and how you can use community cooperatives together, um, that was a big one that I was active in on. And so CityDAO now itself has purchased a plot of land as a DAO. It's currently in the process of um, basically doing kind of a shared economic model of the land um, via kind of shared tokenomics of the different community members that own the land. So it's definitely really interesting seeing what they've been into. And we're hoping, I'm hoping to organize a big DAOCon with them potentially in the coming year, which would be really neat. Um, yeah, another organization that I've been quite active in is Quantum as well. Uh, I'm specifically focusing in on their model in which Quantum is opening physical spaces globally. So I've been kind of helping them start to finish uh, with opening their first space out in LA. And it's a really unique model of kind of a NFT membership plus a almost like Apple-like store in which the everyday person could walk in off of the street um, and learn about NFTs and buy one and leave one with their credit card. Um, but then also having that membership is a, you know, one step farther into being able to access token gated drops, um, specialized events, et cetera. Um, so those are kind of, you know, the, some of the big three organizations I've really spent a lot of time with. Um, and definitely, I would say in general, there's been a lot of other DAOs that have popped up in the meantime that I've been able to be as active as I can. And Ukraine DAO is a great example um, that I started with my co-founder of Unicorn DAO, um, Pussy Riot, um, when some members of Pleaser DAO actually came together during uh, when Ukraine was getting bombed. And they the night of, they were like, you know, what can we do to help the community members on the ground? And so through Ukraine DAO, we were able to organize um, the selling of uh, NFT flag for $7 million via party bid. Um, so that was really, really kind of special and impactful. And yeah, so I guess, you know, there's a long list of them and I could go into them uh, quite a bit. And they all range in very different aspects of the larger, broader ecosystem of Web3. Um, but I definitely, you know, at the end of the day, act as kind of the core contributor in a governance model in each of these organizations when we're setting up how the entities run. And, you know, at the end of the day, the DAO is a new entity and for, you know, long term survival. Uh, you got to be really strategic in those first couple months and how you really organize your community and the governance associated and the tokenomics that align with it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, for uh, explaining all that. 
How do you yes. find uh, time to be a member of all these DAOs? Because I know that that is an issue that I run into personally. So I'd love to hear how you handle it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's kind of, there's two folds to it. My personal opinion is the most successful DAOs long-term figure out a model that allows members to come and go with their availability from a time perspective. You know, I think all of us have numerous DAOs at this point that, you know, we absolutely love the mission of, we want to devote time to, but realistically, most of us can't be a full-time core contributor. And so DAOs that I think have successfully figured out how to utilize specific members for things that they're passionate about in a temporary time period are the ones that are going to be most successful and lasting and, you know, the longevity of their DAO because they're able to utilize this giant network and community and really bring them all together. And even if you can't be a core contributor every day or every month, you still have those opportunities to get involved. And so for me, myself, you know, I definitely, CityDAO was, you know, one of my favorite organizations I worked for, but I realistically had to take a significant step back um, when I was getting more involved with Quantum and Unicorn DAO because I couldn't realistically put that 24-7 into it. So, you know, I definitely kind of try to think about the DAOs and the involvement with them as kind of a flow of involvement, depending on different projects that pop up. And, you know, something that I've started to do that I absolutely love doing is then like connecting the DAOs and organizations I work with together and then getting them to collaborate on events and collaborate on drops, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's definitely something that I've started to be able to specialize in. And I think I'm very like unique and lucky in that capacity that I have that ability to bring together different orgs. Um, but yeah, I think there's a really no easy answer on how to um, really be involved in multiple DAOs. But I think at the end of the day, it's finding the communities that you're most passionate about and figuring out how you can best utilize your tools and resources to father the success of this DAO um, and getting involved in any capacity that, you know, I think is a overall beneficial for everyone involved. Right. Yeah, no. And I guess so early, uh, early on in your response, you mentioned how they're the, you think the DAOs that are doing it the best are the ones that are utilizing their, their member strengths uh, the best as they come and go. Which ones, in your opinion, do you think are some of the DAOs that you've seen that are doing some of the better jobs out there? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I definitely think um, the kind of OGs with Aaron Wright and Tribute Labs, I think those DAOs are a really good example of entities that are able to do that pretty successfully. You know, you bring a bunch of passionate members within an organization together and they figure out different calls to actions often. Um, and I think that's a really kind of smart model if you can figure out how to reward your team members in doing that. I also know Pleaser DAO, um, from what I have been able to observe, although I'm not a member, is a really great example of doing that as well. You know, I've seen a lot of kind of just um, other DAOs like Ukraine DAO and both Free Ross DAO kind of were examples of things that were spun up within their DAO, just from their communities kind of coming together and thinking, oh, we can help support XYZ. Um, and so that's been really interesting to watch. I also think, you know, Friends with Benefits, although it's kind of a larger web free model is an example of one that's really done that um, quite successfully. You know, I know that they don't really have any kind of executive titles. Um, they definitely have leads per se, but not like overarching managers. And I think that's 100% the right way to do it. You know, 
they put out needs for kind of contractors and team members as needed for specific projects that they're working on. And they kind of create a style that allows their communities to come in and out as they uh, deem interested. And, you know, I think what we're going to find is um, as DAOs in general become more popular in the day-to-day life of everybody, the normies, as they say, um, I think having DAOs that are able to prioritize that and be able to allow you to come in and out are the ones that are going to just scale um, exponentially. And especially for young, younger folks in particular, and I think Friends with Benefits is a really great example of like targeting the younger folks and then figuring out how to utilize their time and energy um, successfully to farther the organization and its mission and really grow it in that capacity. Right. No, that makes sense. I think um, my experience that I've seen is that as even though I think the general uh, the general makeup of the DAO can come and go and, and they can be utilized because like, you know, I'll I'll get hit up and be, people will be like, hey, can you connect us to this person or can you help us uh, get awareness around this and and that. And I think that that's where I can contribute the most uh, myself personally. Uh, but I do feel like there kind of needs to be uh, a per. I don't want to call it a CEO because uh, this is not a, yes. a company. But yeah, like, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a person in charge that really like mm-hmm. takes the reins and like understands what that mission is and drives it forward and is doing that on a full-time basis, right? Because I think for when, if everybody works on it part-time, um, mm-hmm. then like it may, it, it sometimes makes it stuff tough to get stuff done when other people, when like your real jobs get in the way. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, something that we haven't even really started to super dive into, and I think it's just, we're at the beginning of this new organizational model is the whole new emerging job market from DAOs themselves, because I totally totally agree with you. And I totally think for the long term survival of most DAOs, you know, that kind of comes back to the really strategic governance structure from day one, you know, that strategic governance structure should have full time organizers that are organizing in different aspects of the community and what the DAO specifically needs and having, you know, either a collective few, one person, whatever it may be, to be that kind of leader. And I think the um, one of the kind of key speakers for the DAO is really important just for long-term um, longevity of the organization. You know, and it by no means I would say is a, you know, one shoot fits all situations. And I think there are definitely unique situations where you don't necessarily need a leader, but I do think, you know, a lot of DAOs that face DAO burnout is because they don't have these full-time core contributors that are being compensated as if it is their full-time job. Um, And I think as DAOs figure out how to successfully um, compensate their full-time employees, essentially, so that they can stick around and really be there for the longevity of the organization, we're going to see such more successful productivity within um, DAOs as a whole. Um, and I think it's just beginning, which makes me really excited. Right. No, I mean, that makes total sense. So I guess, you know, I just asked you what are the DAOs that are doing the best? What, without like, I guess, naming any DAOs, I guess, what are some mistakes or misconceptions that you see some DAOs that are making? Yeah, definitely. So, 
I think a lot of people, it's, we're thinking of it as like the Dow season. And there's a lot of Dows that I would say are coming out with really good kind of concepts, thought processes, you know, a Dow that I could definitely see being successful. But realistically, often the individuals that are starting this Dow maybe haven't actually done that much, much research and that much in-depth research on Dows and Web3 as a whole and the different kind of tokenomic models you can have associated, yada, yada, yada. And so then I think what we end up finding is a lot of Dells launch without a lot of structure in place. And, you know, I think it's okay to like launch a DAO with a common mission and you bring together 50 of your closest friends to figure out how to organize the organization over a month. But I think what we often seeing is a lot of DAOs get stuck in like the organizing phase, but nothing ever gets organized because it takes so much um time and it's so challenging to figure out what you want that governance model to look like who is in charge of xyz how are they being compensated um what is the physical internal structure of this organization you know like you really got to think like of dows is starting a new company you know even though they're a different model than like typical corporate capitalist america companies um you still need to think about it in the like not just like what is your first NFT drop that's going to get you a million bucks? But like thinking about really long term, what is your one year, three year, 10 years from now? Um, and I think being able to kind of have some like kind of larger thought processes and a more kind of strategic goals and models when you start to form the DAO just like helps you exponentially after you launch it, because then you're going to have those resources and structure in place kind of from day one. So as community members come to your DAO who are excited about your mission, excited about what you're trying to create, have a place to put that energy and the time and resources and start doing something productive from day one, rather than having to spend, um, you know, those months of trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> right, right. No, that makes total sense. I, I feel like I've seen that happen firsthand where, uh, you know, people are like, oh, let's uh, pull a bunch of money together. This would be great. We'll form a DAO. And then, you know, then it becomes then what? And then it becomes, uh, a, because everybody, the larger the DAO, obviously, the more opinions they are, right? And you're never yes, going to get consensus. Certainly. So uh, sometimes it could turn into a huge, long, thoughtful debate. And at some point, you know, like uh, you get some fatigue and it's like, all right, well, we need to make a decision to move forward. Because this is, you know, whatever the mission of the DAO is, needs to happen, right? And so yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I, I've seen that firsthand. You know, I, I think totally. one of the things uh, that I find really interesting is uh, your background in activism, right? And coming at it from like a helping the world, uh, you know, perspective, which is very, like, I won't say it's very different, but like in crypto, a lot of people will get in there for a number go up, right? And that's really what attracted a lot of people to the space. So I find it really intriguing that, you know, you're coming into the space from, okay, how can I use this technology to help empower other people? Um, has How has using DAOs for social impact and social change, how, is, how has that changed your perspective on activism? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's really, what really makes me excited, and it's not about just DAOs, I would say blockchain as a whole, is, you know, when you think about activism and organizing today, you know, there are grassroots organizing movements, and those are the ones that I traditionally take um, the greatest part in, and that's just local communities organizing together, 
to raise funds or resources to solve a common problem within their community. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, though, it's very hard to get funding to these projects. They are small, they are local, um, they are really stuck within the resources and the funding of their community unless they have the ability to go outside of their community to raise funds, et cetera, which most don't necessarily have the experience or ability to do so. So then you get to nonprofits and, you know, nonprofits within the U.S. Um, at large, a high portion of them are not necessarily using their funding appropriately and not necessarily directing funding to their core mission. Um, and a lot of, I would say, donors would say at the end of the day, the funds are mismanaged and or corruptly managed. And as we all know, there are a lot of nonprofits that are just created for the sole purpose of tax breaks for, you know, billionaires or corporations, et cetera. So that's where, you know, the thought process of like social impact DAOs make me so, 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 so excited is because think about it with a traditional nonprofit, you know, you give $10 to the Ronald McDonald fund. But if we do this within a DAO now, or even an NFT collections per se, you give $10, you also then receive the $10 worth of governance equivalent. So now you are voting directly on where that funding is going within the organization for the cause you care about. And I think that in itself is going to be such a kind of like revolutionary tool is to be able to not only be able to govern on where the funding is going, but also tracking where the funding is going and making the financial kind of aspects really clear. And then on top of all of that, you know, as most of us know within Web3, you know, blockchain just eliminates all of the traditional middlemen that has been created by big, you know, big banks, big media, corporate America, et cetera. And so by eliminating that, we are able to kind of transfer and organize and raise funds in a much quicker way than would be historically possible. You know, we saw that with Ukraine Dow and $7 million in four days globally is insane. That's insane. And we don't see a lot of organizing like that by any means um, traditionally. So it's really, you know, it's by no means is blockchain, DAOs, Web3, the end all be all and it's not going to solve our global crises or problems but i think it gives us a easier means to kind of owning the means of production quite literally and i think at the end of the day it allows communities to organize in a way that they haven't had the opportunity to previously and scale what they organize which is really important you know and what i will add is that though my biggest concern is that right now all of the resources within Web3 are so deeply inaccessible. And so unless we as core contributors within Web3 are able to make it more accessible to the global majority and actually put in the time and energy to give these resources to the people that need it most, they may never have the opportunity to use this technology to organize um, in the way I would hope. Um, so it's definitely like I, I see a world where it could be utilized um, to organize every workplace and every community um, and every local government. But I also see a world where it just completely misses that boat because we as the leaders in this space never took the time to actually get the resources and technology to the people that need it most um, and give them the opportunity to build this new source of generational wealth and financial sovereignty. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. I and I I really appreciate that, and I I definitely vibe with that that last comment, right? Where that's kind of where I'm at, right? It's I mm -hmm. uh, achieved a lot of what I set out to do when I originally got into crypto, and yeah. more specifically the NFT space, 
And now it's like, okay, I've seen how powerful this technology is. I see what it can do and how it can help creators that are willing to sit, you know, to take the time and learn it and harness the tech. Now, how do I evangelize that message even more, right? And how do I get it to in people's hands? Just just this past weekend, I was uh, I was uh, taking some photos in New York City with a, a local photographer, and this kid's twenty years old, and you know, like we're sitting there in between pictures and stuff, and we're walking around, and I'm explaining to him NFTs and why you know he should start getting NFTs, and you know, he saved up two thousand dollars to buy a camera, and his parents were like, "What you know? What are you doing?" Like you know, spend that on something else. And he made the money back already, like in a month. Right. And, you know, he's been shooting since then. And I'm like, man, like you, you really need to harness the power of NFTs. Right. And like, you know, and, and he's from the inner city and it's like, how do I get that message to more to him and his Mm -hmm. friends? Right. And how do I help Mm -hmm. empower them? So that to me was like, just sitting there and seeing that firsthand. It's like, wow, like there's still, you know, like, I, I think at this point, most people know, uh, They've heard of crypto, they, they've heard of NFTs, but that's as far as it goes, right? And it's like, how do we get to that next step where it's like, okay, well, this is what you can do with all this technology and this is how you can empower yourself, right? Um, exactly. No, I totally agree. And it's it's such a shame too that, you know, there's really been kind of a corporate media propaganda push that's very much like Web3 destroys the environment, it kills everything, yada, yada, which proof of stake versus proof of work, we know immediately kind of eliminates that argument. And so I think it's like, not only is it really inaccessible as is, but then on top of that, the any information you hear about blockchain or NFTs to the everyday person is just, it's scary, you know, it sounds like it's killing the environment. You know, there's a bunch of fraud associated. And so it is going to take some time, I think, to be able to get it to the everyday people because, you know, not only do we have to make it more accessible, but now we have to completely rewrite kind of how people think about it and the narrative associated to it. Um, So there's definitely a lot of work to be done. But, you know, it's just like, like you said, at the end of the day, like the financial sovereignty associated to this and the new form of wealth that's being created, it's, you know, we got to do the work that we can to bring more folks in. You know, I, I try to do it. Like, I feel like every time I like see friends from back home that are like not in this space, I onboard another one because it's, you know, it's just there's so many opportunities and it's just all it really takes is for them to sit down with a person for 30 minutes to kind of chat through it, have a better understanding um, and I hope I hope there are more resources um, coming to kind of help really uh, close that gap and onboard more folks into the space. Right. So I guess talking about, you know, mission driven DAOs and, and helping to onboard more people into the space. You know, I think this is a perfect time to start talking about Unicorn DAO, you know, yeah. which uh, I'm a member of as well. Uh, you know, yes. and the, I guess if you can, like, just go over the platform, you know, and, and how it started, like, how, how did you and Nadia link up? Uh, and, you know, how did you guys were like, all right, let's start Unicorn now. And, and yeah, definitely. Start that mission. Yeah. So Unicorn DAO is a whole, as a, its whole is an investment fund that is purely focusing on investing in organizations by women identifying non-binary and LGBTQ plus creators and also collecting NFTs purely from that population as well. Um, and so, you know, it was really interesting. My co-founder, Nadia um, of Pussy Riot, 
uh, I was introduced to her back in November, actually through Justin Arvisano in the Quantum launch party during NFT NYC. And he had us make the connection because he knew that Nadia had done some really incredible work within the Web3 space over the last couple of years, um, focusing on onboarding individual female artists, giving them the resources that this space has to offer. And she was trying to figure out, you know, how do I put this into an entity? How do I put this into an organization? Um, and so that was where we got introduced since Justin had known that I had been a kind of core contributor of quite a few Web3 organizations at this point and had a very similar activist organizing background. And he was like, you know, I think you guys would jive together. And it's it's really funny, you know, since I met Nadia, we kind of hit the ground running. Um, we we very seriously call each other our business wives um, because we do spend all day long together on uh, really every Zoom and FaceTime possible. But, you know, I think it's because both of us have never found someone in the Web3 space that was so kind of co-aligned and ready to do the work that we want to do to really drastically redistribute wealth and opportunities um, to the marginalized community and women identifying folks in this space. Um, and it was really interesting because when Nadia and I first started talking, you know, the first thing she was giving me so many different ideas on like, this is what I want to do in this space. Um, and so I was like, you know, I think the first thing for us to launch that would be really smart is a collector's DAO that focuses on investing in these groups and collecting NFTs from these groups. Because as we've seen with organizations like Flamingo DAO or Pleaser DAO, you know, they have the ability to buy nfts and give these artists a whole new platform just because they have created a DAO with some of the largest collectors in the space coming together to purchase this art and so as a result you know not only is their art being purchased by some of the greatest whales of all time but it also is giving them a whole new platform and a whole new kind of light shine on them, like a new form of publicity in yeah. a way that you don't traditionally see um, for just the traditional individual artists on Twitter. Um, and so, you know, Nadia really liked that idea and she really did agree. You know, we both knew in 2021 that it was just kind of really disappointing to disgusting how few females there were in the space at the time and still are um and how little of their work was being purchased and created etc and so then in by january we had our pitch ready to go for what is now unicorn down we started kind of shopping around and talking to other big leaders and artists in the space get their feedback help us build the model and that was when the statistic came out as well about having only 5% of all NFT sales being created by women. And so it was like very clear that it was the time to do something like this. And, you know, I joked to my mom at the time that I was like, I don't think there's an easier pitch that I could be giving right now um, because it is just so deeply needed in the space. And so now, you know, not only is Unicorn DAO just uh, an investment fund in collecting NFTs, but we're also really trying to utilize this brand and platform to have different events and organizing spaces where women and LGBTQ plus creators can come feel safe and accepted within this larger Web3 community and share our resources and talent and time and energy with each other and connect in a way we really haven't had the opportunity to in the last 10 years in this space. Um, and so, yeah, we launched back in March um, and we're just now closing our 50 
our 50 ETH round for our members. And we have some really, really incredible, incredible kind of contributors and organizers now within the DAO. Um, including folks like Latasha, Beeple, Jen Stark, People Pleaser, Dead Fellas, Justin Arvasano, World of Women, Yuga Labs, you know, the list keeps going. Um, and it's really, really special to see all of these leaders in this space kind of coming together around this core mission of just making it a more equitable space for women identifying non-binary and LGBTQ plus creators. You know, we can't be repeating history, that's for sure. Right. So I'm yeah, excited no, to see no. where it goes. I, I think what you guys are doing incredible. When when you mentioned uh, how you and Nadia are, are basically work wives, uh, I smiled a little bit because uh, I've now seen you guys operating together for the last few months, and it reminds me a lot of like the relationship that your dad has with Justin, right? Yes, of, like, I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> and I think you guys perfectly complement each other too. So you know, you guys have already thrown. Uh, I guess we have already thrown. Uh, a few events already, right? And like a lot of it is because of the work that you guys are doing, specifically you and Nadia, uh, along with other people in the community. So I think you guys have been doing an incredible job already. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, I'm super excited for, for the things that you guys want to do. And I, I totally agree, right? Like, I think one of the things that I really try to do is I, I as being a minority myself, I understand the importance of having different points of view, right? Whether not just yeah. your ethnicity, but, you know, your gender or, uh, you know, what, which uh, and how you identify yourself, right? Those are all super important because that's what we need, I, th I believe, in order for like the most creativity, for the most inclusiveness, for the most progressiveness yeah. to happen in the space. Uh, so to me, it's it's been super, super exciting, right? Uh, to watch I you guys totally work. Think. You know, I, yeah. And, and you know, I, I just want to touch upon a... Uh, a, a, on a panel that you were on at ETH Denver, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned yeah. that it's difficult for marginalized people to speak up about the opportunity discrepancies in the space. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's uh, it's really disappointing in my opinion. Um, you know, it's interesting because everybody who's in this space, you know, says, you know, the reason it was all invented was to create this new model that allows everything to be peer to peer. You're re eliminating the middlemen, eliminating corporate America, eliminating this top down structure, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what realistically happened is primarily the beginning of Ethereum, beginning of Bitcoin was with a handful of, you know, white Americans for the most part. Um, getting together and making it happen. And, you know, they have all these dreams, visions, etc. Well, 10 years from now, realistically, like they still have stayed within their bubble for the most part. And not to say that they wish anything poorly beyond the marginalized communities, but I just don't think they're actively thinking about the harm that they're creating in this space by not actively pushing for greater resources and equity, equitability and acceptance for these other members. And so, you know, what I've seen really in the last couple of years in particular, especially now that Twitter has become the platform for us to communicate together, um, I've seen a lot of, I would say, BIPOC and especially Black communities, specifically within this space, you know, having um, Twitter spaces, having kind of conversations where they're like, this is not okay. Like, they make it very clear what is okay and not okay within this space. You know, for example, I heard a conversation about, you know, like, 
is it okay for white people to be using, you know, black PFP caricatures as their personality? And like my personal opinion is no. Almost 99% of the black community that was on that conversation said no. Um, you know, and so it's just things like this keep happening. And I by no means can speak for the BIPOC community in any capacity. Um, but I do think that these conversations kind of keep happening but they're staying within the kind of marginalized communities and not being able to get onto a larger platform because the leaders in this space and the individuals that, you know, have the most, I would say, uh, economic success thus far, you know, don't want harm by any means, but they're just on like this whole different level that they don't really even like know what's really happening in the day to day. Um, And I definitely think, you know, especially for, women specifically as well you know a lot of web 3 has also been built off of web 2 and i think web 2 in itself was already so 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 deeply inaccessible um you know i think that at large we still have a a exorbitant technology gap and um generational kind of educational gap uh within you know communities that are financially literate and literate with the tech that we use in the day to day. And so on top of all of that, you know, within Web3 specifically, it only kind of makes the gap even greater because you have to catch up on your Web2 resources to even be able to utilize Web3. And so in that capacity as well, you know, I think a lot of folks have just never had the um, ability to obtain these resources. And you know, traditionally, the individuals that are not able to obtain these resources are women and primarily BIPOC women in the LGBTQ plus community. And so it's just building on each other. You know, it's, it has been a conversation in the works for decades now. And if the leaders in Web3 aren't going to actively organize to solve it, and actively put in the time and resources to prevent it from happening again, and causing the harm it did when the internet started, Um, you know, there is just going to be an even larger technological gap and there's going to be an even larger financial literate gap because now we have a whole new literature of finance, you know, decentralized finance is a whole different conversation and is part of like the resources we have to share. Um, So, you know, I think it's just one, I think it's a mix of, you know, this kind of these resources not being accessible and building off of the inaccessibility of the internet and web two that's already been created in this space. And I think then it's also a mix of the conversations are being had that of the changes that need to happen. um, But they're just not happening on a platform that gives them the ability to really kind of you know, flag everyone down and be like, this needs to happen today. And, you know, we don't really see anyone that is able to act as the um, Supreme Court justice by any means as well, or hold people accountable for when they mess up. So it just kind of can perpetuate um, the harm that people cause in the space, because there's not a lot that we can do um, to provide justice if there needs to be one per se as well. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, lot of different reasons, um, the harm that is being caused, uh, is happening, but you know, those are definitely a couple of the key ones I would say. Yeah. And, and how do you think that, uh, that the education plays into de- decreasing that gap, right? Like, you yeah, know, I, we both certainly. know it's super important. Like how, like, I think it's probably one of the most important things I'd love to know what mm-hmm. you Yeah, I totally agree. You know, so at its 
you know, core, and I can't speak as much for the global majority as my history is rooted within the U.S., um, but there have just been very obvious educational and financial barriers um, and uh, educational barriers to obtaining financial literacy that was really purposefully done by the U.S. over the last couple decades and big banks specifically in the U.S. government. Um, one of my favorite books is The Color of Law. Always recommend it if you want to see kind of from the 1800s to now, how the U.S. really uh, prevented the global, I would say the BIPOC community and women from home ownership and financial literacy and the education that's associated. And so, you know, what I don't think people understand, or not that people don't understand, but a kind of mass majority is, you know, the things that we are learning from each other within Web3 you know, it's not easily accessible by any means from the everyday person. And, you know, if you go and Google crypto right now, it's going to be very difficult to learn crypto from that Google search, you know, same with NFT, same with Web3. And, you know, what I really like, I think needs to happen is like, if you think back to like, elementary school for some folks that were there during the internet age, as you would go into your class, and you would do your like, typewriting on your computer class and you would practice word and you would have your little Microsoft paperclip in the corner that's teaching you how to use your computer and Microsoft and everything it holds. You know, it needs to be something like that, that is of the equivalent for the everyday person to be able to learn about Web3 and this community and the financials associated. Um, because until we start educating the everyday person, on all of the opportunities that is associated in this space and, you know, educating them on what is truly happening and not just what is coming through kind of corporate propaganda and big media, then they will have a chance, honestly, and have the ability to not only start to learn about the opportunities, but learn about the resources and figure out the different resources to go to and the individuals to talk to in the space to learn more. And I think most of us in Web3 have been lucky enough to be able to spend the time to do that. But also realistically, a lot of people don't have time. If you are working two jobs and you are doing kind of your nine to five and then you're seven to two, you, you know, it's hard to balance and hard to bring in those educational opportunities unless they're kind of presented to you on a silver platter. Um, so that is, you know, I think why to me it is just the utmost important thing that needs to happen in this space is the you know educational onboarding it's just oh it's so so important <laughs> to your point i think we need some sort of canon right that you know if somebody's like but it, i think that's needed but it's also so difficult right it's, and i know this for yes, when yes I explain for sure. NFTs, right because people are like oh i don't get nfts explain them to me and depending on who i'm talking to i use different examples yes. right so I, I can't, you know, an example I would use with somebody that works in finance would be very different than an example I use for an artist, right? And so yeah. it, it makes it a little difficult, uh, but I think we have to kind of like work together to develop that sort of canon so that, you know, yeah. when somebody does Google crypto or NFTs, you know, it's one of the first links that come up where it could be like, okay, this is the download that you need to understand that will give you your, you know, your uh nft or crypto level 100 course right yeah and how how far you want to go goes from there you know and 
But I, I it's, it's amazing because here we are, you know, uh, years into uh, the evolution of crypto tech and blockchain tech. And a lot of times, you know, people still have a really, really rudimentary mm-hmm. understanding of what the technology mm-hmm. means, right? So I, yeah. I, I agree. I think yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, progress has been made, but a lot more progress needs to be made. Right? I agree. And I, I really think the next five to 10 years is going to be really pivotal and not just the future of like crypto and blockchain, but honestly, the world, in my like personal opinion, there is a lot going on right now. And I do think that this technology can provide a new source of global governance and financial resources um, in a way for us to organize the masses. But, you know, it just won't happen if we can't educate our communities first about all of the opportunities associated, you know, and we're, we're running out of time. We're, we're quite literally running out of time yeah. um, with everything that's happening um, from climate well, change. And yeah, <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, just speaking of education, right? What, you know, as a female founder, what are some key learnings that you can share that you wish you had known when you were first starting out yeah. for, for all the other founders that are that are listening? Certainly. Well, one, I think the biggest thing, unfortunately, the largest method of communication is Twitter right now. And I think, you know, that is one of the best places to find resources and find like-minded people who are trying to accomplish similar things. So that was like a very kind of, I was not very active on Twitter until 2019 because of crypto. And, you know, once I realized that, I started learning so, so, so much more because you were just in the media and accessing the media where the conversations associated to everything NFT and crypto are happening every day. So that's like a really big one. And I think, you know, on top of that, to get involved in Twitter, you know, just finding a couple like NFT artists or Web3 DAO leaders that you like following them and then following the other content that they're sharing. That's how you kind of build your community within Twitter. Um, I would say another one is that unlike kind of traditional America, or corporate America is like, no one's going to like give you what to do traditionally. You know, I think you really have to be willing and comfortable to put in the time of just like learning, learning as much as you can, because there's a lot of information to learn. Um, And so I think the best way to kind of start doing that is by finding those other leaders and organizations in the space that you really, really kind of respect and, you know, want to, follow or learn more from and just learn as much as you can from those people or those communities. And I think it'll kind of off, often open up a whole new gate, gateway to the kind of crypto web three community at large. And, you know, I think a lot of people are really like scared to even enter. They feel like they're too late now. They don't really understand what's happening. They feel like they've completely missed the boat. But, you know, I really try to emphasize with everyone that like, it's still so early. It's so, 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 so early. And so you should not feel like you don't want to put in the time to learn just because you think it's, you know, the boat's already passed, you know, Bitcoin is at 60 grand. Um, And I think spending that time um, learning as much as you can, like I literally, I spent at least a year just learning. Like I didn't talk to anyone. I spent a year reading and learning as much as I could. (laughs) I'm still learning, you know, I think we're- Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm still learning every day. day. Um, And it's- I really identify with what you said about like, it's not like in corporate America where you're given like a list of things to do. It's very much like, you know, 
there's more than enough information out there that you can literally not sleep for months and still yeah. be behind, right? Um, so I, I how is a great yeah. resource. <laughs> I very much uh, agree with that. You know, I yeah. I want to be cognizant of your time. I know we're coming up on the yeah. hour. Um, what are what are some future plans for Unicorn now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we got a lot coming up. It's really exciting. Um, we'll be announcing our current uh, newest members. Be doing a pretty big press round on the 21st. So be on the lookout for that. Um, spoiler is uh, Grimes and Sia are both joining, which is pretty cool to have them in the Dow um, and see some bigger folks supporting the mission. Um, over the next kind of couple months, we're going to start partnering with museums and galleries, um, and different auction houses to showcase our work, um, and showcase all of the art we've collected, which will be really sick. And then also we're going to be pretty present in NFT NYC, which actually lines up really nicely right before pride for New York city. Um, so we're going to be pretty active and involved there to celebrate both NFT NYC, but also our pride community within New York. Um, yeah, and we got a lot of big things on the kind of come up that we're excited to share more in the next couple months. Is there, are you guys going to be throwing a party during Pride weekend? Oh, yes. That's the plan right now. That's, so uh, you, looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, Pride weekend is a blast in New York. Like the city shuts down yep. uh, for the entire weekend. I know. So. If we're lucky, we might even be in the Pride parade. We're working on oh, it. Wow. So that would That's be pretty cool. sick. That would yeah. be, be really sick. That'd be awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so it's good. It's good. It'll be cool. Definitely be on the lookout for more event updates on be a unicorn down Twitter. Right. Amazing. And so for audience members that want to find out more about you and unicorn Dow, what are, what are the best places uh, for them to go to keep up to date? Yeah, definitely Twitter for both of us. So my Twitter handle is just at Rebecca Lamis. L-A-M-I-S. And then Unicorn's Twitter is at UnicornDAO underscore XYZ. Um, and yeah, we keep everything pretty up to date there. We'll be launching a website relatively soon for Unicorn Dow as well, which will showcase all of the art we've been collecting um, and more about our curators and artists that we support. Um, so once that comes out, you'll definitely get more updates via the site. Um, but yeah, definitely. And feel free to always like DM me on Twitter. Um, you know, if you have some ideas and especially if it's in the activist realm, but in general, I'm always happy to kind of talk through the logistical operations. I'm just trying to spread this information and knowledge. So happy to support whoever. All right. Awesome. Thank you for that. And one last yeah. question, uh, before I let you go, what's your favorite NFT? Um, I would say my favorite collection is I really like Woman Rise. I really like what Malia is doing over with Woman Rise. Um, that project really resonates me and was a very uh, unique and new project. And it took months for them to even mint out. And now they've been so so successful thus far. And she's about to launch a, the first educational um, courses within the metaverse, which will be really, really great. Um, and you know, oh, their whole awesome. collection is basically about supporting um, financial literacy and educational opportunities um, for all of the women globally and girls specifically that don't currently have access to education. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at that and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. But Rebecca, Definitely. thank you for your time. I really appreciate yes, it. Yes, thank you. To everything that you guys are doing. 
Uh, and, you know, uh, for everybody that's tuning in, we'll see you guys next week.